Hello, and welcome to season four of the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. This is a podcast designed to provide you with the inspiration, confidence, and strategies for transitioning out of campus-based positions in education. Hosts, Drs. Jamie Hoffman and Tom Studdard, pivoted out of campus-based positions, hold senior-level positions in organizations, and love it. What started as an idea that they thought might benefit a few is clearly filling a need across the nation with education professionals during the Great Resignation. Jamie and Tom are excited to be back for another season with over 25,000 downloads across our first three seasons. So have a seat or take a walk. However you listen to podcasts and get ready for ideas and inspiration. And if you think this podcast was awesome, please consider giving us a five-star rating. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Pivoting Out of EDU. My name is Tom Studdard. And I'm Jamie Hoffman. And today we are, well, I know I am, and I think Jamie is too. We're excited to welcome somebody who is sort of a blast from our past uh, onto the show, uh, Patrick Dostal. Pa- Patrick, say hello to our listeners. Hey, I'm very happy to be on the podcast. So I'm a big fan. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate it. Patrick, I have been a big fan of yours since the day I met you, which I believe was maybe year, junior same. year, senior year. I think, it, yeah, it was either junior or sophomore. One of the, maybe, it was, no, it was junior. It was my junior year, but yeah. Okay. Same, well, same here. Very influential person in my life. So. Oh, well, that that is sweet. For our listeners, uh, I was Patrick's advisor uh, when he was president of the Student Alumni Association, I think for a couple of years um, at Arizona State University and uh, helped us sort of completely overhaul the Student Alumni Association and to the organization that it became when we were there and was, was highly involved in homecoming and anything spirit and tradition. And then uh, was also an RA and helped protect the A on A Mountain. And just literally, uh, Patrick was sort of synonymous with ASU spirit, pride, and tradition. And so having watched you grow and develop over the last, uh, last oh goodness, like 20 years or so now, just <laughs> pretty amazing to have watched. And I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. We could do a whole podcast about that time period, by the way. Like, <laughs> Very true. Oh my goodness. We had, we, I, it is, when I look back at my professional career, the things that we did in that short amount of time together to advance what we were trying to do. I mean, going from a 40 member student alumni association to like a 5,000 member student alumni, alumni association in two years is, is somewhat incredible. And then obviously all the homecoming things that sort of surfaced over those couple of years. It's it was it was definitely a professional experience like no other. Uh, and to think that the university was okay with a 25 year old, and I think you were what 23 year old, 22 year old. At Less the time. than like, that. I was I was like 20. Not true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How they trusted these two young people uh, to sort of manage these multi, well, quite frankly, multi-million dollar programs uh, when you think about the number of sponsorships that we had. So um, well, you, you inspired me to take big swings, uh, Tom. So that was very influential in my life, like my well, career. So. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, well, and let's, let's see part of uh, the reason he can thank going into higher ed or blame. I don't know. <laughs> true. It's very true, actually. So. Well, uh, you know, let's die. I appreciate the love fest because you know, obviously uh, do, uh, you know, Patrick, you were definitely one of those students that I remember to this day. But what I'm hoping you could do is, you know, just, you know, obviously you've said hello, introduce yourself a little bit more, but by telling us a little bit about your background in education, sort of what you did before you pivoted 
and then why you chose to make that pivot and what your first position was outside of the walls of the university. Cool. Yeah. So um, I hope not to age myself and Tom, given that we've already <laughs> discussed ages, but I think there's a, there was a couple of key points in my undergrad, actually, that kind of influenced the, the direction that I went. Obviously, solid mentorship. Uh, secondly, during my period of time and undergrad, I was actually a, a, a marketing major, had spent some time in education, actually, but ended up switching to marketing for a few reasons. Graduated in May of 2002, which was the May after 9-11. So at that time, I, <laughs> as a marketing major, I had the opportunity to either go uh, merchandise for Ernest and Julio Gallo or sell hotel rooms for Starwood. And given that I had quite a fondness for the university, but also a lot of good support from administrators, like a lot of people encouraged me to consider higher education as the next phase of my life uh, or as sort of the next phase of my education. And so, so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll really think about that because I really enjoyed being at ASU. Um, at the time, I also, I, as Jamie had pointed out, I was, a, I was an RA, so had some experience in residential life and uh, actually took the step toward a graduate degree in post-secondary education with a focus actually on educational research and policy development. So, which is kind of like the education version of database marketing, like combing a bunch of data to help politicians make decisions on like legislation to influence higher education. So I was very excited to sort of apply some of that undergrad into my graduate degree and was excited to continue, you know, my journey at university. So spent some time in higher ed, or I'm sorry, in, in residential life, working as a hall director. But on top of that, also started to work in admissions within Arizona State University, which will also be important to kind of how I progressed through my own career journey. Because when I was working at admissions, I worked on a recruitment management system, which is the university's way of describing their own sort of like marketing management system. So it was a system that we used to input student information that we were looking to recruit. Um, it would spit out, you know, here's the folks that you want to recruit. And we would use that to print labels, send emails, make phone calls, all kinds of things like that. So, so that sort of like database marketing plus higher education, working in admissions, was sort of my first, my first like real, real job out of my higher ed program after I'd been a hall director for a period of time. And then from there, actually still continuing with the university, I spent about a year and a half in actually the school of business, getting more focused on a particular program versus the, like doing recruitment for the university. So applying my higher education background in, in my graduate studies uh, worked as a program manager within the School of Business at ASU, developing new student programs. We, uh, uh, maybe this name rings a bell, uh, and I don't know if I can say it, but whatever, Rachel Beach, um, she was also a, a colleague of mine. She and I started the first Camp Carry, which is the school, the school of Business at ASU's version of uh, like new student camp, very much inspired by Fish Camp at Texas A&M. So uh, we, we gave it a go. <laughs> we kind of winged it. Uh, we did two camps that first year. And now it's like one of the biggest new, new student programs at ASU. So kind of proud of that. But again, like I said, 
Tom inspired us to, or inspired me to take big swings. So that was one of our big swings as a, as a program manager at ASU. Again, continue to do more recruitment, which again was working with a lot of databases and eventually had some friends outside of the university that <laughs> talked about like database administration for companies that they had worked at. And we nerded out about databases and he eventually got a different role at American Express. And he ended up saying, you should apply for my old job because you know things about databases and like you're, you're a pretty decent human being. And I think you'd be good at this job. Ended up, you know, throwing my hat in the ring. At the time, I felt like I was going to the dark side because I was looking at a corporate job, all that kind of stuff. So I was like, oh, um, but ended up getting the offer and uh, eventually transitioned outside of higher education into the corporate world at that point. Yeah, it's it's sort of amazing, you know, to think back of some of the things, one, that you did and two, that, you know, led to your path. So what are some of the things that in the camp carry sort of concept that sort of made you think corporate, made you think like, I should go do this. Was there things that, particularly because you were in the business school, right? At that point, like you had transitioned from admissions to the business school. Were the things that you were picking up in the business school that sort of helped you think like, I should, I should think about pivoting. Was it sort of out of the blue that somebody said, Hey, I recommend that you do this. Like, were you sort of leaning in that direction? Like, you know, what I'm trying to get at is like a lot of the folks that we talk to and a lot of the folks that are in these, these Facebook groups that we're a part of, you know, are leaving because they've had negative experiences, toxicity. I, I, for some reason, I don't get that from you, but maybe I'm wrong. What was the impetus that sort of was like, I, I should think about doing this? Or was it just sort of a, a flute to some extent? It was very, it was much more organic. And I think um, in that it was, it was, somebody reaching out and being like, Hey, check this out. And at the time, again, in my heart of hearts, I was like, Oh, it's kind of going to the dark side, but uh, corporate and I'll check it out. And I interviewed and, you know, started to like really mull over it. I think (laughs) one factor obviously was pay. Uh, The, the, like your, the pay range was, you know, working for a public university was very different than (laughs) doing something at a corporate entity. and I think, you know, working, working in that job, I really enjoyed sort of the multidisciplinary aspects of it, meaning I wasn't just like looking at numbers and printing off labels and making phone calls, like got to work with designers to come up with like logos for, for the camp and, you know, worked with, you know, communication managers and doing the database polls. And so it was very multidisciplinary, which ended up becoming sort of like the trajectory that I started to take after the fact, but there wasn't really like one thing that was like, I need to go look for another job. It was like, Hey, check this out. I went and explored it. Uh, (laughs) The pay was a driving, like a a pretty significant driving factor um, to the point of like, okay, I'm willing to try out the dark side. Cause I, I also felt like I had such a strong family per se in, in the university that if I ever hated it, I could probably come back. So I felt like it was a safe move as well. So with the safety, the pay and other things, I was like, okay, let's, let's give this a go. That is a a big leap that you made well (laughs) before. I was going to say well before your time, but like, I think that's the wrong saying, but it's like, here we are, whatever, 20 years later with a podcast on pivoting out of EDU and you foresaw (laughs) the dark side early. 
Uh, well, I'll, I'll be honest. Like I often like think about my time at the university and how fond like the environment is, you know, like looking, I, it, it, like the grass is always greener, right? Like I, but you know, I've, I've done the dark side for a long time and have like the frustrations of working in a corporate environment and all that. And I often look to the university and be like, Oh, I like, there could always be a chance for me to go back and check it out at some point. I think I still have some connections with ASU. I still live in Phoenix. So I still think yeah. there's an opportunity to, to. I think that there are. Yeah, no, I mean, Tom and I often talk about like going back as far as, well, Tom, I don't know if he actually really thinks about going back. I think more so we talk about how much we loved it. And I've, I have personally, even very recently considered um, going back, but I don't know. I think it's kind of like one of those things where like two things can be very true at the same time. I really, really loved it, but it is, there were things I really didn't love and I don't really want those things. So, and some of it is pay, right? Some of it was that I think like there, like you, I don't know, in, in, in the corporate environment, you, you end up working with a lot of like numbers and, you know, I'm in my job as a product manager, I work with a lot of engineers and software and stuff like that. So it's a lot of ones and zeros and there's like some human aspect to it, but working in a university environment is very much a human centric, or at least from, <laughs> from the positions that I was working in was very much a human centric thing. And, you know, you can always open up a piece of software or you know, if a piece of software is broken, you could open it up, try to figure out what's wrong and fix it. You can't really do that with human beings, like yeah. <laughs> on a day-to-day basis, like, you know, somebody's pet passed away or, you know, uh, like something worse could happen or they're just having a bad day. You can't really uh, adjust the software for that. You just got to <laughs> right. like, uh, work, work the human side, which can have its own set of like emotional and physical like drains on you. So, right. I mean, it has the, the distinct reward of helping someone through that difficult time. But oh, for sure. The challenge yeah. of that too. And, and that's, I think those were probably like the moments that I miss a little bit more. Like when you yeah. launch a new product and the software is working and that's awesome. But when you see somebody's like light bulb go off or you help them through a very tough situation and they come out better on the other side, like those are, those are things you, you can't get, but there's obviously yeah. different trade-offs there. So. Well, that said, um, you know, I think this is a valuable uh, perspective for our listeners because many of them are considering just doing something quite different, whether it be many think about project management, some some talk about operations, and then some that seem to like technology have talked about product. And, you know, I think you're helping to, folks to understand that the, it, the type of company matters with regard to like, I mean, you're you have been in companies that are very business oriented, not, not as much, you know, with regard to um, a value service, you know, to provide it to the community, but also the roles that you have had have been more operational. Um, I say that because uh, we've had a lot of folks on our show that I've worked in HR or Tom's in L and I'm in ed tech. So it doesn't feel like a huge divergence from what we're used to. Um, but I would love to hear you dig in a little bit more on the fact that when I looked at your um, LinkedIn, I, I 
thought it was cool to see that you have kind of a few different pivots, even uh, sort of in the business sector from uh, a partner servicing role, which seems to be operations, maybe project management. You can tell us about that. But then we do see that you migrated into product. And so we'd love to know how and why you did that migration. And then um, to Tom's earlier point, we haven't had a lot of product focused folks on the show. So we'd love to hear about um, what it is that you do on a day to day. What does a project product manager do? (laughs) I always struggle with this because I always think about like when my mom first asked me, she's like, what do you do again? I have no idea what you do. And uh, like on one end of the spectrum, I go to this place of if you've ever seen the movie Office Space, there's this scene where there's a gentleman talking to like the folks that are looking to reorganize them. And he's saying like, I take the requirements from the customer to the engineer. And they're like, you just like do that, which is a very rudimentary sort of like way to talk about a bit of what I do. Um, and even when I was in, when I was in college, like the idea of a product manager didn't really exist. They usually call them like business analysts where you're defining specific tech requirements that then become software. But the, the I don't want to call it the art form or the, the practice of product has become sort of more prevalent after dot-coms and apps and all that have, have become more of a thing, like people working with a lot of software and phones and such. So, so to kind of like, take and tie it back to like the database stuff. I remember there were days at ASU when we were working on the recruitment management system and like the, the head recruiter would come over and be like, Oh, I wanted to do this, that, and the other. And so then you would work with somebody to make these configurations to make it do this, that, or the other. And I mean, that's kind of like what I do today. So now, so now instead of working not only with internal stakeholders, but also like external audiences talking to customers like where do we do things well where do we not do them well what kind of improvements can we make upon uh, the software that we have out there Uh, gathering up a lot of information really trying to distill it down into problems like what problems are we really trying to solve taking those problems and turning it into sets of we call them user stories in the product world so we're trying to tell a story of here's a problem i'm trying to solve why we're trying to solve it and then we work with engineers on and designers on how to solve it. So again, kind of like going back to the, the camp carry, you would work with like designers to like make things pretty. You would work with, you know, the recruitment system to gather up all the data and you would turn all that into like communications and developing the actual program itself. So, so now I get like, I get to work with engineers and uh, software designers, like the people that make stuff look pretty to solve problems for both our internal stakeholders of the company I work at and external users. So, so I don't code. <laughs> I you don't, don't do I, yeah, I don't, I like, I am, uh, I don't code myself. I don't, I don't make things look pretty. I'm not good at the faucets and the fixtures or the paint on the walls, but we bring all those things together to help solve. We define what the problem is and bring those folks together to help solve the problem using software. So, yeah, when I always think about our product team, I think about that uh, they are the ones that, that do exactly what you said. They, they define the problem, write the requirements to fix the problem. And part of that is figuring out who to bring to the table to do that and then translate those into 
sort of the engineering requirements that allow us to go out and build that product that fits the needs for the customers. When I talk about our product team here at the company that I work at, I always say they have to speak two languages. They have to speak English and they have to speak tech, whatever that might be, wherever you are, because they they are the go-between between so many different departments. They're the they're sort of the glue that holds everything together. Yeah. This is part of me also being a middle child, I think. I'm the one also trying to communicate between my brothers or my parents and stuff. I think one other one other item, and I always I always like to use this metaphor too, because in in the industry that I work in, it's also about speed. So it's not only about solving the problem and solving it in the right way, but also moving faster than your competitors. And so speed always becomes like this other sort of like variant that you've got to manage. Um, and often what you have to do is like take take the problem and try to solve it in smaller increments versus trying to, you know, solve the world's problems or to boil the ocean as it were. So the metaphor that I often use is if you've ever used the Play-Doh Fun Factory, where you take the ball of Play-Doh and you smash it through the little thing and it extrudes spaghetti or what have you, you can't fit the whole big ball of Play-Doh through the Fun Factory. You got to break it up into smaller chunks or else it'll break or like Play-Doh is going to be going all over the place. So part of what we also try to do in the product world is to break things down into manageable chunks that are also delivering value in each one of those chunks. Yeah, that 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 makes sense. And that's that's the way I sort of think about our product team too. Um, uh, I, the follow-up question to me, and, and you've answered a little bit about this, right? Is, okay, great. Like you spent some time in higher ed, you clearly uh, developed some skill set there with working with the, essentially the CRM or the marketing automation tool that was developed for the ASU admission office, which by the way, was it Stacey Costell? Was she the person that you worked with? Yes. Oh my goodness. Stacey. Yes. I love to meet some Stacy. Do you know that Kyle, um, like, is graduated from college? Oh my gosh! I know, right? <laughs> he when he graduated from college. For our listeners who are listening, Stacy was both of our supervisors at one point, and her son Kyle, who was like in preschool at the time, went to the ASU preschool oh. and would come into my office, my cubicle at ASU admission. And uh, come at the end of the day, and I had candy on my desk, so I think that that's why he would come and visit me. But when he graduated from college. I think like maybe two or three years ago, he and I talked about him coming to work at Zoom Info. And as I was having a conversation with this adult version of this five-year-old that I that was the last time I knew him, it was so surreal. So just sort of random. It it aged me very quickly when I was when I was quote unquote interviewing the kid that I knew as a five-year-old. So you've answered this a little bit, right? Which is what are the things that you picked up, learned, skills, characteristics that that helped you make that successful pivot from, you know, higher ed or the campus-based position to your first role? Like, what are the things that you learned? And it doesn't have to be necessarily the technical pieces, but what are some of the things that you learned that really carried over to that new role role, uh, that allowed you to be successful so that our listeners can sort of think through like, oh, those are the skills that I need to really focus on? Oh my goodness. I think like immediately to come to top of mind and not even related to product. Like you, I could go into like the database stuff and stuff, but like, I think a little bit of like, some would call it diplomacy. I like to call it conversational jujitsu uh, <laughs> in that, you, you know, everybody's got an opinion about stuff and it's trying to like weed through all of the opinions into something that's like actionable. And had to do a lot of that at the university, right? Like every, 
everybody likes to take sort of a collegial approach, decision by consensus. And part of it is you want to make sure that everybody feels like they've had a voice, but you also need to make decisions pretty quickly, which is what I had to do a lot at the university, because otherwise you can just get into this like swirl of, well, you need to talk to this person and you need to talk to that person. And, you know, um, I just remember with some of the, the, the camp stuff that we were working at, it was just like, oh, you had to talk to like legal and compliance and it, but having to like weed through all of that, make sure everybody felt like that they were brought along, um, but like move forward with the decision-making pretty quickly because like we had, we had a timeline between admission cycles in order to get this thing stood up. And sometimes you kind of had to like make it like make a decision and make people feel like they were part of that decision, even though you were making the decision for them. But some of that came with intuition, but I think there was a lot of that. Um, so that sort of like jujitsu with everybody where you, you make them feel like they're coming along, but you kind of like put them down so you can continue to move. You know, sort of uh, aside from that, like that was one of the skills that, that, that I quickly had to figure out a way to learn, um, uh, when I pivoted. And I remember back to the days of working in admissions with, you know, folks like Stacy and Arlene Chen, uh, that they used to say, you bring, bring your, bring the people along for the ride, make sure that they feel like they're included in a part of the conversation. Uh, and, and, and then sort of like let them off easily. Right. And so the, the things that you're talking about there resonate clearly with me, but I, I'm sorry, I interrupted, C- continue moving forward. No, that exactly. Um, those names also are folks that inspire <laughs> those, that like those learnings too. I think the other one that um, I think is important, and I don't know. Sometimes it could feel like the university environment can over-index on, um, but I also having having over-indexed on that helped center me. I think a little bit more personally is being able to work and communicate with others that are not like myself. Like the, the university is always, has always been, and always, and hopefully it still is like, sort of like this uh, hodgepodge of like people and personalities and people from all over the country. I remember in admissions, we always like tried to work hard to get, um, part of the goal was to get, like you didn't want a homogenous student environment. And that was also even part of all the theories and stuff was you needed a bunch of people that came from a variety of different backgrounds. So you built empathy. And I think that was very useful for me because it kind of like, it stretches you in so many different directions. Again, I think at the time I probably felt like the university sometimes could over-index on being like overly, I don't know, like accepting I don't, like it's not it's not the right term but like um but it, but it but it did provide an environment where you got to interact with people that were definitely not like you and um being able to develop a level of empathy for again folks that are not like yourself i thought was something i really got out of working at the university a lot and also just like that a, a bit of that disarmament too like um, I know like even nowadays, there's a lot of focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. I mean, when I worked at the university, that was always still really much again, sort of like baked in with everything. So I think it really like, it helps to work in that kind of environment to kind of help center yourself. But again, I think there's a lot of advantage also to working with people unlike you to develop a lot of that empathy. 
Thank you so much for sharing. Um, yeah. I think that's good a good transition for us to ask you um, if you were to kind of capture your key advice um, in a couple sentences for folks who are really going through that process of of thinking about the dark side and if that's a fit <laughs> for them, um, what what advice would you have for them as they make that? that decision and, and, or as they pursue, you know, their next opportunity. Yeah. I, I know I said pay at the time was a big factor for me. Um, I, I don't, don't just do that. <laughs> don't just chase the money. I know a lot of people in like, even in working in the corporate world, like I, the company I work at now, I had worked for, for a year and a half. I transitioned out sort of like chasing a bigger paycheck was miserable for six months. And, and, and then I took some time off and luckily uh, a colleague was like, do you want to come back? I'm like, yeah, I want to come back. So, so I came back uh, to the company that I work at now. And so don't, don't just chase the paycheck. I feel like this is like, you always read the, uh, the, the stories of people that are, you know, further on in life toward their end of life and they're giving advice and they're like, just don't like do what, do what really drives you kind of, kind of situation. And, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. Like, so don't chase the paycheck, do something that's obviously like it, go and explore. I, I guess now's the kind of time to do that. Also like the, the employment environment is kind of in a wonky period here in uh, June of 2022, there's, I think there's just a lot of opportunity to just explore different scenarios, interview for a lot of different things, just to get a feel for what's out there um, and treat, and treat each interview as you interviewing them, because more often than not, like you need to get a feel if this is going to be an environment that you want to work in. It was a scary situation just to be like, Okay. <laughs> the first day I worked uh, outside of the university, I walked into the office with a tie on and they're like, why are you wearing a tie? I'm like, oh, okay. So corporate environment isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I thought I was going to have to wear a tie all this time, but I didn't. And yeah, I, I think explore a lot and talk to a lot of people that just, uh, that are, are not in higher ed to get their perspective on it. I think having lots of conversations with your friends, family, and even like try to find connections, have coffee with uh, folks that might be working at certain companies or what have you, just to kind of get a sense for what to expect if you were to make that transition. I think those are some of the initial advices I have. <laughs> That's great, Patrick. Those are, those are really great piece of, pieces of advice for folks who are, who are looking to pivot. I, I really appreciate the, you know, pay is a big deal, right? Particularly for those in higher education right now, you know, there's a, there's a significant pay gap, not only from education to non-education roles, but, but even within education, there's, there's significant pay gaps, uh, you know, for different populations of folks. And so, uh, you know, the, the money is enticing, um, but it isn't everything. You know, one of the comments that you made earlier, the, the grass is always greener is very true. I'm I'm in the middle of a Facebook conversation right now where somebody was talking about the fact that they can't believe that campuses charge their employees to pay for parking. And my response is, well, my employer doesn't pay, it doesn't charge me for parking, but I still got to pay for parking in the local lot across the street. And it's actually more expensive than what it was when I was on a college campus. And so the reminder that like, hey, like these things do exist 
in the world outside of higher education too. And the grass quote unquote is green. It's just a different shade of green, right? Um, and you have to figure out, you know, what, what color shade you're okay with when you, when you, when you take that leap, but thank you so much. It has been amazing to reconnect with you. After all the years. I still can't believe it. Uh, you were my very first uh, student that I directly advised in my, oh my gosh. Um, I didn't uh, know that. And it's surprising. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I've been a hall director, so I had RAs, but that's a little bit of a different relationship, <laughs> right? Cause they're employed. You were the first student that I had that was not employed by me and was still like in my mentorship and, and uh, the things that, that you were able to accomplish. Like I, I look so fondly upon those times and, and part of the reason, and people have heard me say this before, part of the reason I left higher ed or the reason I left higher ed had nothing to do with that. I didn't like the job. It had to do that. I didn't want to be a VP. And the reason that I did love the job is the students. And you were certainly, you know, top of that list um, uh, of, of students that I, that I loved working with. So thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it to all of our listeners out there. Please stay tuned for next week's episode of pivoting out of EDU. Thank you for listening to pivoting out of EDU. In addition to our podcast, we offer various ways to get support as you work through your career transition, including digital resources, one-to-one consulting, group workshops, and cohort-based blended learning experiences. For more information about these services and show notes, visit pivotingoutofedu.com. And if you haven't done so already, join our LinkedIn group called EDU Pivoters, where we share job opportunities and foster engagement between those who have pivoted and those who want to pivot.